Do you like this show and you want to help support us? Do you want us to stay ad-free? Do you want extra episodes every month? Well, of course you do. Then head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro and become a Patreon supporter of this very show. And welcome to the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. I don't know about you, Derek, but I have the post-Halloween blues. Yeah. Yeah, this was, it was actually a a pretty good Halloween. We had a a little Halloween party at work, and then I got to see the new Terminator that night. And speaking of Halloween, I haven't told you the story yet, but I had the weirdest and creepiest theater experience of my entire life really Uh, let's hear it okay so not a lot of people were at the theater and i i figured there wouldn't be because it was halloween well here's the thing just for uh, on that note i went on saturday night the seven o'clock showing and there was maybe 12 to 15 people in the theater really yeah it was dead like i was like that sucks this is nuts that sucks. Well, I mean, we'll we'll get to Terminator in a bit, but right. anyway, the movie ends, and I normally sit through the end credits, and I I, I looked up that there wasn't going to be anything, but I just like to watch anyway. Yeah. So I was looking at my phone, you know, for like ten or fifteen seconds, and I looked back up, watched the credits for a bit. When the credits were done, I looked up from my phone, and there was no one else in the room. <laughs> there wasn't any music playing. Or anything. And now, before the movie started, they normally show like commercials and do little movie trivia facts before they actually start rolling the trailers. Well, they didn't do that yeah. for Terminator. It was just they dimmed the lights and just went right into the trailers. Wow, that's weird. So I walk out of the, the room that I'm in because I saw it in IMAX. There was no one in the hallway. <laughs> then I walk out into the main lobby. There's no one in the lobby. And I think. I've been watching enough horror movies lately to know that this is a bad idea, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I walked to the other side of the theater. No one there. It was dead quiet. That's so weird. No music, no people, no anything. And then I walked out, and other than my car, there were maybe three other ones in the parking lot. Wow. It was like it was like a alien spacecraft came down and just beamed everyone up. <laughs> it was like the and day I just after I missed tomorrow. the memo. That's so Say weird. again? Oh, is this like it's kind of like uh, the day after tomorrow or whatever? When or what? What movie am I thinking of where like uh, people just disappear? Yeah, you it was know? almost like a post-apocalyptic setting, and I was the only one who survived. Oh yeah, I was thinking uh, thir- 20, 28 days later. Yeah, that's yes, what I was thinking of it. when he's like walking around. There's like, nobody around. Yeah, but other than that, uh, let's see. I had to work on Saturday. So that was okay. I got extra money, which is nice. And then today was daylight savings time, and it's got me all out of whack. I went to, mm-hmm. we had an arts festival here in town that you know, I went to for a little bit. I actually got a really cool Big Lebowski drawing that I'm going to send to you. Oh, that's cool. I'll send you a picture of it. <laughs> it it's, it's pretty awesome. It's a, basically a photo of um, actual like Big Lebowski graffiti art. And the the artist took the photo in black and white and then painted it, you know, the proper colors. Oh, that's cool. So it looks really cool. And then I got home and took a nap because I'm extremely tired because I didn't really sleep that well because of daylight savings time. Yeah, me either. I just took a, I just woke up from a nap. Same as you. Like I woke up like 30 minutes ago. I was like, oh, I got to do a show. (laughs) (laughs) I was the same. I was like. Wait a minute, what time is it? Oh, crap, I got I got to yeah. record in half an hour. Because uh, my dad went in the hospital this weekend. He had surgery uh, Friday morning to, to fix some. Uh, he had a hernia surgery a few years ago, and they put that mesh stuff in him. Right. And that stuff's starting to break down, so they had to go back in and, and replace it. And uh, he's been in the hospital for a few days. And um, 
I've been in and out of the, in and out of the hospital over the last few days. Plus, um, I went down. We had a local um, art festival here too, called the Peter Anderson Festival in downtown Ocean Springs. So I went to that for a little while yesterday. Uh, last night, I went to see uh, Terminator, and then today I've just been. Um, trying to rest but i had band practice today and took a nap and waiting on word if my dad's gonna get to go home today because if i'm gonna have to help for a while because he's having trouble getting up and down by himself and uh, yeah you know so i'll i'll have to stay out there a lot at my parents house so it's been kind of a, a long uh, stressful tiring weekend well, hopefully your dad has a, a speedy recovery and he's able to get out of the hospital soon. Yeah, no, it's just it's just he's getting he's getting to be an old man, you know. <laughs> I mean, we're all going to be there one day, but you know, you don't recover as fast as you used to at a at a certain age. Yeah, but no, that's true. He'll but... be okay. It's just it, his recovery will be a little longer than than what it used to be. Yeah, but uh, but I'm ready to move into the news. How about you? Let's do it. From NintendoLife.com, a dentist snaps up collection of ultra-rare retro games for $1.2 million. A video game fan named Eric Nairman, who also happens to be a dentist, recently forked out $1.2 million for a bunch of first-edition sticker-sealed video games. While he's not the first person to do something like this, it's a reminder of the inflating inflating retro market prices. Uh, let's see. He got around 40 factory-sealed Nintendo games, which were carefully assembled by three Denver-based collectors over a combined 52 years. A number of the games in this tra- transaction are believed to be the only copies in existence. Uh, like Mario Brothers, the original arcade classic series, uh, Golf, Balloon Fight, and Gumshoe. Um, let's see, uh, experts said the sale price and amount of games exchanged was a watershed moment for the hobby. Director at Heritage Auctions explained how it was a classic case of supply and demand. He said demand is increasing. More people are becoming interested in these games are not easy to find in this condition. That's what's driving the market growth at this point, at this point and people get competitive. So what do you think about uh, $1.2 million for uh, 40 games? Well, let's be honest, <clears throat> excuse me, if any profession or someone who does a certain profession can afford retro video games at that price, mm-hmm. it's going to be a dentist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the funny thing is the photo that's on the article, it looks just like a 90s video game ad. Yeah, it does. Like the guy's hairstyle, the shirt <laughs> he's wearing, his expression. I, I feel like he should be the poster child for Nick Arcade. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. I actually think that's pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, if you've, if you have a profession that, you know, you make that type of money and you want to buy retro games or whatever it is that, you know, is your vice, if you got it, use it. Yeah. I don't fault this guy whatsoever. I'm actually envious of him. Oh, me too. I just think that, you know, people are going to see, this does have an effect on the prices of games. That people True. try to sell because they think that they're going to get a ton of money for these games. But what they got to remember is these games are, like like they said, they're, they're only copies in existence that are in this condition. That's so crazy. Like, I, I actually love hearing stories like this about these games that are in that great of condition. Like, oh, this is one of five copies or the only copy. Yeah. I mean, that that's talking... one of my low key favorite things about doing this podcast. Yeah. That's it's a really cool story. But our next story also comes to us from nintendolife.com. Unreleased Super NES prototype Tarzan Lord of the Jungle emerges after 25 years. A playable prototype for a planned Super Nintendo game called Tarzan Lord of the Jungle has been unearthed by Gaming Alexandria and a collection of assets and documents have also been made available on the site alongside an article detailing the game's history. It was scheduled for release originally in 1994 and was previously known to exist through various screenshots, but now the game, or what was made of it, is available for all to play. The prototype ROM has been in the possession of the project's programmer Jim 
Jim Grundle for over 25 years. Hmm. Pretty interesting. And that's, an, that's another thing that I like about doing this podcast is finding these games that, you know, were never finished or that haven't been seen in 20 plus years. Yeah. Like when I first saw this article, I thought it was um, a prototype for a Tarzan game based on the Disney movie. But no, Same. This is, this is actually the off of the book, the Edgar Rice Burroughs book. I will admit, though, it would have been pretty cool to hear Phil Collins in 16 bits. Yeah. <laughs> what what year did that movie come out? Uh, it had to have been late nineties. I'll look it yeah. up real quick. I remember seeing it in theaters. Uh, let's see. It oh, came it out says, uh, 99. It came out. Oh, wow. They even that late. Yeah. I thought it was like 97. Yeah. I figured it was late nineties. Yeah. But this is cool. I mean, if it's a, com if it's a complete game, that's, I, I wonder why it didn't come out. Uh, let's see. Let's see. I don't know. Oh, the reasons for the game's cancellation are numerous and intriguing. As you might have surmised if you watched the video above, while the sprite work looks good, character movement wasn't very smooth. Another reason for the game never seeing the light of day had to do with the Lord of the Jungle's willful slaughter of every last <laughs> creature, often endangered species that he comes across. The developer reportedly attempted to paper over this issue by making the poor animals magic and disappear in puffs of smoke, but that didn't address the poor gameplay and the game was canned. Wow. <laughs> like that, that's violent. pretty nuts yeah <laughs> I wouldn't mind playing huh. it just to see what it's like no not at all it's honestly a game that I would have probably at least tried out because it's a platformer and that's right up my alley I love 90s platformers Yeah, if, you, if you're listening to this and you actually want to download a ROM of it you can go to gamingalexandria.com and uh, get yes. a ROM of it Absolutely. Uh, the other story we have, um, I, I was should have done this for, uh, <laughs> this came out after Halloween. This has been a perfect Halloween story. Uh, from bloodydisgusting.com, Faith, the unholy trinity, brings retro gaming horror to Steam. Fans of the, de of the developer Airdorf Games, Faith, have more to look forward to now with Faith, the unholy trinity, which now has a Steam page. Um, let's see. The story for Unholy Trinity has a young priest aided by a mysterious stranger travel to the dark countryside to stop a satanic cult from summoning a horrifically powerful demon. Best part of the new trailer for the third entry, which is appropriately retro while still being disturbing. Did you actually watch the, the video for it? The announcement trailer on the, uh, the article here? I have not yet. It is creepy as hell. Um, it's definitely, I wouldn't say 8-bit graphics, it's definitely more kind of uh, early uh, computer graphics. A little bit better than, than I would say, I, I'd say more Commodore 64 style graphics, um, mm -hmm. about that era. A little bit better than, uh, you know, Atari graphics, but around, kind of that same vein. And um, man, it is creepy as shit. So if you're into creepy <laughs> horror games and retro <laughs> games, this is right up your alley. This would have been, had Halloween gone through with the anthology series, this could have been a Halloween film. Oh, absolutely. Complete with Silver Shamrock commercial. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll have to watch the, the trailer after we're done. Yeah, definitely watch the trailer. It is unsettling. Yeah, I'll keep the tab open and watch it as soon as we're done. And our last story comes to us from VentureBeat.com. Nintendo Switch sales surpass 41 million. Nintendo's operating profit saw a massive jump during its second quarter as Switch sales continued their momentum. The company reported an operating profit of 94,200 or 94,222 million yen, which is the equivalent to 871.18 million for the first six months of the fiscal year. That's up 53.4 year over year. Net sales, meanwhile, were 443,967 million yen, which is $4.1 billion in the United States. That is up 14.2% over the same period in the previous period. So, Switch is doing well. Yeah, they are. Can Nintendo make us some money? Yes. They'd make even more money if they could get their um, virtual console shop right. Yeah, they could. 
They'd get more money out of me, I can tell you that. Yes. That reminds me, I need to get the new Luigi's Mansion game. Yeah, Because that, that came out on good. Halloween. Oh, look, that does look good. Yeah, I really want to play it. Uh, I'm still uh, have plans to buy myself. I'm still waiting to get uh, Link's Awakening for the holidays. That's going to be my holiday game this year. I like it. It's a good choice. But yeah, it so says here, you know, that. Switch sales should continue to deliver for Nintendo. They have a lot of experience at keeping up excitement for its consoles. For Switch, the company has already turned to its favorite trick of revising the hardware. Mm. In August, it launched an update of its hybrid home slash handheld console with improved battery life and thermal performance. And then it released the Switch Lite in September. I mean, this is kind of a traditional thing that Nintendo does. You know, they did it with even going back to the Game Boy. I remember the Game Boy Pocket yeah. you know, that came out years later and then the Game Boy Color. Then the, the DS came out. Then the 3DS. Then 2DS. You know, 2DS Lite. Oh, I'm sure they'll come out with another iteration of the Switch next year. I mean, they're going to try oh, to stretch this sure. thing out for a few more years at least. And I think they have the ability to. You know, because I, I think the Switch came out a couple of years after the Xbox One and the, the PS4, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, at least, what, like two years afterwards? Yeah, because the Switch came out in early 17. Yeah, because I can't remember... They're really the not in competition out. with Sony and uh, and Microsoft at this point. They're just kind of doing their own thing, which is what Nintendo's been known best for. And at the same time, they you know they announced the PlayStation Five and the new Xbox next holiday season next year, twenty twenty. Mm -hmm. I really don't care, honestly. To tell you how much I've used my PlayStation, so I was watching uh, Terminator Salvation this morning. And I don't have, like, an actual Blu-ray player. Mm -hmm. So I fired up my PlayStation. I have not turned on my PS4 since 2017. <laughs> did you have How wild updates? is that? <laughs> Say again? So did you have a few updates to do? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> I had to wait a bit before I could actually watch the movie. I'm but sure. No, the PS4 came out in November of 2013. Did it? Yeah. It's that old. Huh. Yeah, it says here it was released in the U.S. and Canada on November 15th, 2013. Huh. That's wild. I know. That, it seem, doesn't seem like it's that old. So it's about to be six years old, which is around the ballpark for a console, I think. Yeah. But I still, you know, I... I'm just not that, uh, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not that excited about new consoles. My yeah, I'm not either. I mean, I'm a, content uh, with the Switch. It's a, uh, it's a glorified um, uh, Blu-ray box. That's pretty much all it is. And Netflix machine. Pretty much, yeah. I would agree with that. But uh, let's go ahead and move into this month in video game history, shall we? On November 12th of 1980, Stern Electronics releases Berserk with designer Alec McNeil's signature in the monitor glass of each cabinet. When I found this article, the first thing I thought of was the song Berserker from Clerks. Yeah. <laughs> Berserker. This was always a great game. I had this for the Atari 2600. This was uh, one of the better games for the, uh, the Atari 2600. And Evil Otto always scared the hell out of me, too. Yeah, I remember us talking about this game before. The cover art, like it's, how do I describe it? It's not very good. No. <laughs> but it's so bad that I kind of enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> I guess literally like somebody just threw a few cutouts on a Photoshop file mm -hmm. and just called it a day. Yep, that's pretty much uh, probably all they did. No, it wasn't even Photoshop. They just cut some pictures together back in the day. Yeah. I wonder if paint was around back then. Uh, I don't think so. I mean, this no. was what, uh, 80, 1980? Nah. Yeah, no, so no, it wouldn't have been around. But it looks like an interesting game, though. Oh, it's good. 
In November of 1981, Namco releases Bosconian, a multi-directional shooter with voice. I don't remember this game, but that box that box art looks great. Yes. It looks familiar, but I don't know what it reminds me of. Yeah. I feel like I've seen like the ship that's in the background. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've seen something like that before. Yeah. I don't know what though. It's very, probably uh, from just one of the random sci-fi movies I've watched. Yeah, it's very Battlestar Galactica esque. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Uh, on November of 1983, Sega releases Astron Belt in the United States. Uh, it's a very early Laserdisc video uh, game in the form of a third-person space combat rail shooter. Uh, the good old Laserdisc. I remember us talking about this game last year. This game looks cool. Yeah. I would play it. Oh, I would too. And I've always found the Laserdisc format to be interesting because like i remember hearing about it as a kid but i never like i've never actually seen a physical laser disc i don't think like in person oh really yeah yeah i remember when i was a kid laser disc they were trying to make a push for laser disc and i had um actually one of the first laser disc movies i ever saw was um uh escape from new york and i remember oh, okay. we were watching it and it had the laser disc itself had to be flipped in the middle of the movie. Oh, that's not surprising. Yeah. Well, funny enough, on the uh, when I was watching the first Terminator, early DVDs were like that. Like on one side of the disc would be the full movie, and you'd have like maybe one or two special features. But then on the other side, like you'd have to flip the disc over, put it back in your player, and that's where you would watch, you know, all the deleted scenes, documentaries, oh, yeah. and things that have to do with behind the scenes stuff of the movie. Yeah, I have a lot of movies like that from the early DVD days where you would have uh, regular full screen on one side and uh, widescreen on the other. Like you could flip the disc. And then you, I remember you had the option of buying either a full screen movie. Yeah. Because widescreen TVs were just starting to become a thing back then. Because on my, um, my DVD box for T3, it says, you know, widescreen. And I specifically remember picking that over full screen Uh, how far we've come i know i'll just say how quaint (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh geez but moving on on november 1st of 1986 sega releases alex kid in miracle world it's the first game in the alex kid series created for this character and the most popular of all the alex kid games yeah, this was um their push to make Alex Kidd sort of their their mascot. Mm-hmm. But I just don't think it was a good enough game for uh, for people to really latch on to it that way. It got good reviews, but from what it's looking like, it says it's a platform game. It might have just been too similar to Mario. Yeah. And plus back then the the Mega Drive games, man, that box art was gross. Yeah, it looks like somebody, you know that grid paper yeah. you get in like art class? <laughs> yep. That's what it looks like this was just thrown on. I know, that's all their games back then. If you look at the Mega Drive box art, like every single one of their games looked like they were crude drawings on gra- uh, graph paper. I mean, at least put some effort in. Like, what were they thinking? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, November 1st of 1990, Mega Man 3 is released in the U.S. Um, uh Mega Man 3, another game I need to add to my collection of NES games, but it's always expensive. Yeah, this is one. Oh yeah, this is the first one that introduced Rush, right? Mm-hmm. Sweet. Yeah. And one day I'll go through and at least try to play all the Mega Man games. They're all good. The first- only ones that I've attempted are 1, 2, and X. Yeah, one is uh one's pretty hard. Yeah. I mean, the rest of them are hard, too, but, man, one is just ridiculous. Like, like Cuphead hard. <laughs> oh, jeez. That game still gives me nightmares. <laughs> On November 21st of 1992, Sega publishes Sonic the Hedgehog 2. The game introduces Sonic's sidekick, Miles, Tails, Prower, and Sonic's supersonic transformation. Sweet. It also introduces his uh, spin dash move, because that was not available in the first one. You reviewed this, didn't you? 
Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, this is this is still my favorite of the Sonic games, like, including you know the modern ones, the 3D ones, like the Dreamcast era, the newer era. Oh yeah. If I were to make a list of my favorite Sonic games, this would easily be the first one. I just love everything from the variety of zones, the music, the improved gameplay. It's, it's just a really, really good game. And graphics-wise, you know, it still holds up for being a 16-bit game. Yeah, we're starting to get to the point where I can't remember what we've reviewed. Oh, there are times that I have to go back and look through our catalog of episodes to be like okay i've already reviewed that yeah, me that too. sucks <laughs> well it's uh, funny because there are games that i know i reviewed early on in this show that i know i could do a much better job of now same here i was actually thinking about that a few weeks ago i was like man i wish i could go back and re-review some of the early stuff we did yeah because i'd love to go back and review like secret of mana and like a lot of the rpgs that i reviewed early on mm-hmm just because I feel like I could do a much better job now. Yeah, same here. We might think about doing that. Yeah, like a revisited. Yeah, do a re-review. Mm-hmm. Uh, on November 5th of 1995, Single Track and Sony released Twisted Metal for the PlayStation. Man, I remember playing hours and hours of Twisted Metal with my friend uh, Josh back in the mid-90s because he had a PlayStation and I didn't, but he had Twisted Metal. And man, we played the hell out of this game. With good old Sweet Tooth. Yeah, that's who I always played. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of the iconic character from that franchise. Yeah. It just Funny enough, sinister. I never played a Twisted Metal game. Really? Mm -hmm. oh, Twisted Metal is great. I, I don't know why they're still not making these games. I don't know. Because they, did they make a sequel to this? Oh, yeah. There was, um, how many of these did they make? Let's see. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, six. Yeah, they made a ton of Twisted Metal games. Oh, excuse me, seven. I miscounted. Because there's uh, Twisted Metal, which came out in 2012. Wow, that's pretty close. I, I would think that this would be ripe for um, you know, a current-day redo, especially with uh, um, all the different um, you know, Battle Royale-type games. Like This oh, kind yeah. of fits right in that, that genre. If you could do like a that sort of on like an online twisted metal game where you could have like a hundred cars battle royal style oh that'd be mm -hmm. awesome <laughs> that would be actually be a lot of fun hell yeah it would i, would I mean you can that. make it you can make it similar to rocket league yes but give it like it's its own twist on it mm -hmm. i well, think that'd actually be really cool there would be a hundred sweet tooths in the in the thing so. Yeah, that would be the only character everybody yeah. would play as. But to close us out on this month in video game history, on November 15th, 1996, Tomb Raider is released for the PlayStation and Sega Saturn. I have a confession. Uh, yeah? I have never played a Tomb Raider game. Oh, I haven't either. I remember watching the movies... And I know the first one I thought was okay. The second one was pretty terrible. But the, the reboot they did, I think it was last year, actually wasn't bad. I didn't see it. It was one. a very safe movie, but I want to say I read they might be making a sequel to it. Oh, I don't know. I don't pay attention to it. Tomb Raider's is not my thing. The first movies, uh, the very first Tomb Raider movie that came out with Angelina Jolie... One of the very few movies where I actually fell asleep in a the theater. I could see that. And then I was invited by everybody, and Wally could tell this story better than me. He has a good story to go along with this, but I was asked to go see Tomb Raider 2 with everybody that we worked with, and I, I p very politely declined, which Wally <laughs> would say differently. But <laughs> We'll get him to tell uh, that next time he's on. Yeah. Now, you, you got the better end of the deal on that one. Oh, yeah. I it was home. not a good movie. I stayed home and, and slept while everybody went to the midnight showing of Tomb Raider 2. Did I ever tell you what my first midnight movie experience was? Uh, I, I don't know. Did you? I don't think so. Spider-Man 3. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember walking out of the theater and I looked at my two friends I was with and I said, what the hell did we just watch? Yeah. 
I was just thinking about that movie the other day. I went to the midnight showing of that when it came out. And I'll be honest, I don't remember much from that movie. I remember it being awful. I remember pretty much everything with Venom. And of course, the, the dance scene that Ugh. has been gift so many times. Oh, yeah. Ugh. But that's really about it. That was bad. That was real bad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was real bad. Uh, Let's move on from that before we go into our review for tonight. Derek has some shout-outs. Yeah, so every week we like to give a shout-out to uh, our friends on Patreon who help keep the lights on here at the Nerd Cave Retro Show. We'd like to shout-out Axeblade07, Daniel Salmon, Justin Olson, and a new patron, Mr. John Jekyll. Thank you guys so much for your contributions. And if you want to join us on Patreon, just head over to patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. And tonight we're going to be talking about... Pinball is a 1993 pinball video game developed by Sega Technical Institute and published by Sega. It's a spin-off of the Sonic the Hedgehog series set in the universe of Sonic the Hedgehog animated series. Players control Sonic the Hedgehog who must drop uh, must stop Dr. Robotnik from enslaving the population in a giant pinball-like mechanism. The game is set in a series of pinball machine-like environments and Sonic acts as a pinball for a majority of the game. Uh, and what's interesting about this game, and I did not know this, this is the only other game, I think, besides uh, Sonic 2, I think it was, where they actually refer to Sonic's planet as Mobius. Really? Yeah. Huh. That was a little fact I did not know until today. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Uh, let's see, it was... Um, Sega management realized that Sonic 3 would not be completed in time for the 1993 holiday shopping season. They commissioned another Sonic game. After a hasty two-month development, Sonic Spinball was released for the Sega Genesis in November 93 and for the Game Gear and Master System in 94. So they developed this game in two freaking months. For two months, they did a heck of a job. They did. Can you imagine them? I don't even think it's possible... To write a, to to make a game in two months nowadays, especially a triple A title like this. No, no, but I, I will say that when it comes to like these types of games, because there was a Pokemon one too that was like a Pokemon pinball game. If you're gonna adapt a franchise to pinball, I think Sonic was the perfect one to do. Oh yeah, and it's he fits perfectly, especially because he goes into the the spinball. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you just you can't ask for a better, like, I don't know, sort of a, a, a game mechanic to turn mm-hmm. into a pinball game. I mean, it just, it works so nicely. Um, and before I go into to, to how I started playing and everything, uh, here's the plot. Sonic the Hedgehog Spinball is one of the few games in the Sonic franchise set in the universe of the animated series. Evil scientist Dr. Robotnik has built a fortress on top of a volcano to transform the animals of planet Mobius into robot slaves. The volcano's magma fuels the fortress and the pinball-like or pinball machine-like defense systems. The volcano's kept in stable condition with the Chaos Emeralds. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog and his friend Tails mount an aerial assault on the fortress, and this is actually the 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 very beginning of the game, the the cutscene. Uh, Sonic is knocked into the water and surround uh, that surround the volcano, but surfaces in the caves below the fortress. He infiltrates the defenses, absconds with the Chaos Emeralds, and frees the animals. Without the Chaos Emeralds, an eruption begins to destroy the fortress. Sonic destroys Robotnik's escape ship. Tails rescues Sonic while Robotnik falls into the volcano, which sinks into the ocean and explodes. Um, I did not finish this game. I know it's relatively short, but and but the thing is, is it's very difficult. And not difficult in a way that's frustrating, just it's a lot of... It's like playing... You're playing pinball, so a lot of luck 
and uh, skill are involved to actually get through this game. Like you go through each level and you have to, um, you know, you have to find the chaos emeralds. They're hidden throughout the levels. Each level has a different number of chaos emeralds you have to get. Like I think the first level is what, like five you had to get. And once you get all the chaos emeralds, then you go into a boss fight. And there's only like three, I think three or four um, actual um, levels in the game. But each mm -hmm. level is increasingly difficult as you go. I think I only got to the second level. But still, it's like I said, it's difficult, but it's not frustratingly difficult. Like I keep going back to it because I'm like, okay, I can do it better this time. I can do it better this time. I can do it better this time. It's that old school... Um, way of keeping you engaged in the game over and over again because it's not like I said it's not frustrating at all well I think you hit the nail on the head it, you're essentially playing pinball and I think we've all been at an arcade at one point or another and we get on a roll with pinball and then just something happens to just completely jack up yeah. what's going on and it's exactly the same, you know, with Sonic Spinball. And I haven't played this game in a long time. I actually played this game for the Game Gear uh, back when I was oh, yeah. a kid. I didn't actually <laughs> play it on the console. But the Game Gear version is, is extremely similar, and it's a lot of fun. And it's one of the things that introduced me to the game of pinball. Because oh, yeah. I didn't grow up with an arcade around my area. So it was this, and then... Uh, there was a pinball game that came with like pretty much every computer in the late 90s. It was like 3D Space Pinball or something like that. I think I remember that game. Yeah. Those two games introduced me into pinball. And it's when I go to an arcade, pinball is one of my favorite things to do. And then you just oh, slap Sonic on it and, you know, you've got my money or in that at that particular time, my parents money. Yeah, I'm a huge pinball fan. Like if I go somewhere and there's a pinball machine, I'm playing it. Um, you know, every time I go to an arcade, that's really the first things that I look for is pinball machines. Cause I love playing pinball. Um, mm -hmm. I would love to own my own pinball machines. Like I would love to have a kiss pinball machine. I would like to have the, uh, the, uh, star Wars pinball machines, like all those really cool pinball machines that were out back in the nineties. Um, the Adams family, that was a really good one. I remember that one. Uh, yeah, there's a one they put out a few years ago for The Walking Dead that's really good that I've played a couple times at the uh, the Margaritaville here on the coast. But I love pinball, like and and pinball on that's done well for a, for a game console. I'm totally into. Like I love the original black box pinball for the NES because it it's primitive, but man, they nailed the the physics of pinball in that game and i've always wanted to review that game but i'm like there's really not much to review because it's you're just playing pinball you know but yeah. it's it's worth uh having in your collection uh and any, if you're into nes collecting the original black box pinball is is really good to own you can find it for cheap everywhere it's not an expensive game and it's really fun, but you take pinball and you add Sonic to it, and the controls of this game are a take a little getting used to because I didn't know till after playing it a couple times that you could actually control Sonic while he's in the air with the control pad, and it takes mm -hmm. a little getting used to. But once you kind of get used to it, then you can kind of aim him where you want to go, um, it, get into to the different spots you need to get to a little easier, and. Um, you know, I started playing this because it, it's included on the, the Sega Genesis Mini, which I picked up the, the night it came out. And um, I don't know if you got yours yet, Derek. I know a lot of people out there listening to the show have picked it up. And um, this is the one game on the Sega Genesis Mini that I just kind of keep gravitating towards. Like, this is, I've had the most fun playing this game on the Genesis Mini. Going back to what you were saying about all the different pinball machines, Sega would be geniuses if they made a Sonic Spinball pinball machine. Oh, of course. That would be great. I wonder if they ever did. Was there? Let me look this up on Google, see if there was a Sonic pinball machine. Sonic pinball machine. Let's see. 
There's a tabletop one. Yeah, but not an actual. Yeah. No, they never made oh, one. Man. But that would be really cool if they made an actual full-on pinball machine. Let's see. No, that's that's computer generated. Yeah, that would be I'm, great. Like I that would be if that one. <laughs> if that existed, that would be what I would want to have. Oh yeah. And they actually they brought back an element of that in Sonic Adventure because they're in the casino level, you actually have the option of playing two different um pinball machines and the gameplay pretty much turns into Sonic Spinball. Yeah. Didn't that, isn't there a sort of a pinball level or something like that in Sonic 2? Um, two in a way, yeah. There's a casino zone, and there's elements of what is a pinball machine, but it's not like old school pinball, if that yeah. makes any sense. Okay. Yeah, because in between there is a each world. level on this game too, you have like mini games to play, which are kind of cool. Um, I only got to play the one between level one and two. But um, there, there, it says that there is one between each level, and there, and there's a different one in between each level. And I don't think you have to do anything special to access the mini games. I think it just automatically you do it in between each level. Yeah. This makes me really want to go back and play this game. It's really good. I mean, that this, um, the Castlevania game and the Sonic games are worth the price of the the Genesis Mini. I think. And I still need to get mine too. You should. It's totally worth the money. Like I've gotten a lot of fun out of the the Genesis Mini at this point, especially with this game. Like I just like it's it's one of those just I call them plug and play games where there's not really you know, you don't have to think too hard. It's not something you have to really super concentrate on. You just kind of kick back and play and it's just fun, you know? Yeah. No, it definitely is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like I, I love games that you can just plug in and you can play for ten minutes, or if you get completely lost in it, you can play it for hours. And then I think this would be a perfect game for um, if they could figure out a way. I'm sure there's a way they could do it easily um, with tilt shifting and um, maybe just using your thumbs to tap the screen. But I think this would make a really good uh, mobile game too. Oh, for sure. Yeah, if you adapted that, that would go over really well, I think. Oh, I would think so. I really need to go get that Genesis Mini now. You do. Um, but like I said, this th with this game I, I've played probably the most on the Genesis Mini, uh, along with the Castlevania, which I played a lot last month. And, um, you know, I haven't finished this game. And, you know, I... I just from the fun I've had so far, like I said, it's it's hard, but it's not frustrating hard. It's more of just I got to keep playing to get better at it. You know, I want to give this game a, a, probably a nine out of ten. Wow! And I, I, it's got some slowdown to it, which kind of messes with you a little bit, but you kind of get over it quickly because there is a lot going on in the game. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And looking at the reception of it, it got very mixed reviews. It says here, visuals were generally well-received. Reviewer from EGM thought the game being set inside a pinball machine was a novel idea. Uh, same review, another reviewer said the graphics were not as sharp as other Sonic titles and thought the sound was unimpressive. Because, hmm. yeah, EGM gave it a 7 out of 10. Eurogamer, 4 out of 10. IGN 7.5 out of 10, which I don't think is that bad of a score. Uh, Nintendo yeah. Life gave it a 4 out of 10. You know, I think so I'll I'd... adjust it a little bit. I'll give it an 8 out of 10 because I haven't finished the game, so I don't know what the ending of the game looks like. But just for fun factor alone, it gets an 8. Yeah, and I, I think that's fair. You know, this is something that definitely if you're a Sonic fan, oh, yeah. you should have in your collection. But it's just, it's just a fun game to just plug in and not have to really worry about any story. I mean, there's a story aspect to it, but yeah. especially with those early Sonic games, it's not emphasized on it. It's more about the gameplay. 
Yeah, but if you haven't gotten, the, if, if you're listening to this and you're interested in getting the, the Genesis Mini, I highly recommend it. Uh, I love it. It's got a really good selection of games on it. And then, like I said, all the Sonic games are on there. This game is on there. Um, there's a couple other games I've delved into the last few weeks, like uh, Vector Man I started playing a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Comic Zone is really cool. I might do a review on that pretty soon because um, it's really different, and I really like the uh, the game st- gameplay style of it. Have you ever played Comic Zone? I have not. Yeah, it's really interesting because you're playing, it's like a platformer, but you're going through basically like, a, it's a beat-em-up, but you're going through it sort of like through the pages of a comic book, like different, each state, each, like you have to go through comic panels, if that makes any sense. Like it's it's really kind of cool the way it's done, and it's like you're playing a comic book. That's interesting. There was a a game for GameCube that I played that was kind of like that. I think it was Ultimate Spider-Man. Had a very like comic book visual feel to it. I like that, though. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think I may do a, a review of that when whenever we come back from... And I guess we should go ahead and tell everybody. Um, you want to go ahead and tell them now or end the show stuff? Um, we can save it for our ending plugs. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's my review for Sonic Spinball. I have a lot of fun playing this game. It's one of the ones I, like I said, I always kind of gravitate to. It's really just kind of a, a, like just one of those plug and play type of games where you just sit down and you can turn your brain off and just kind of play. And uh, the visuals are really nice. It plays well. You kind of get got to get used to the controls a little bit. But other than that, it's a really fun game to play and I highly recommend it. Love it. No, Sonic Spinball is a fun game. But uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of the show. So, Derek, I'll let you explain to everybody what's going on next week. Okay, so long story short, Jason and I have kind of wacky schedules over the next week. Uh, I'm actually going to be out of town. I'm going on a, like a little mini vacation. And Jason's going to be busy with his comedy shows and then getting ready for his uh, band show uh, next weekend. So what we're going to do, we're not going to be recording a new episode, but what we're going to do instead is release an old round table that I did with Jason and Wally as part of my show. Uh, just for something, you know, for you guys to have to tie you over until we get back. And I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to re-release the Ninja Turtles round table. Yes, that was a good one. Yeah. Everybody loves Ninja Turtles. So that'll be out uh, next Wednesday for nerd cave retro and this week and i'm actually really excited about this discussion jason myself and steve wise will be on my show this week doing a spoiler filled review of terminator dark fate as well as a retrospective on the entire franchise yes so that's going to be out this thursday and i'm actually really excited about it because i've actually been going through and watching most of the movies. I, I'll be honest, I skipped Genesis because well, it's it's not really that good of a movie. But it's been fun going back and revisiting those movies because I, I loved Terminator 1 and 2 when I was growing up. I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. And your motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually thinking about that line earlier today. Yeah, I love that movie so much. I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought he should say that when he was sworn in as governor of California. They should make him say that. I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> he should have done his swear in in the leather pants, yeah. jacket, and the shades. <laughs> uh, it's crazy to think that the Terminator was a governor. I know. Had there been like an AI takeover, we would have blamed it on Arnold. Yeah, probably. He's he's really the Terminator. <laughs> Oh man, was um uh, before we get out of here, is there anything you want to pimp before we leave tonight? No, just you know, the Terminator roundtable of the Derek Diamond experience will be out this upcoming Thursday. Um, you can check that out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, and you can follow the show at D Diamond Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And this Saturday, 
My short film, The Parker Syndrome, will have its first film festival screening in Destin, Florida at Club LA for the Kite Film Fest. So really excited about that. Absolutely. Um, also, um, you may have to help me out here, Derek. Where is the place at that I'm going to be on Sunday in P P Pensacola? Yeah, it's uh, O'Reilly's Irish Pub. O'Reilly's Irish. Yeah, here it is. Um, doing Stinger's Comedy at O'Reilly's Pub down Irish Pub downtown in okay, Pensacola. Good. That's that's the good one. Yeah, on uh, November 10th, Sunday. The st show starts at 8:30. Uh, I don't believe there's a cover charge. Um, says here, t tickets by Eventbrite. Oh, uh, $10 general admission for the show. And I think they uh, you can probably just get them at the door. But yeah, that's um, I'll, I will be uh, November 10th. I'll be in Pensacola for the Stingers Comedy at O'Reilly's Downtown. So come out and check that out. And also on the 16th, uh, which is the next Saturday, uh, November 16th, Saturday at 6 p.m., my band Falls From Grace is going to be playing at the uh, the Gruich Center in Biloxi, the Biloxi uh, Civic Center. Uh, you can go to thesound228.com and check out all the lineup of bands that are going to be there. And uh, tickets are $15, which you can get online or the day of the show. Um, or you can get from one of us personally if you know any of us. Or if you know me personally, you can just message me for tickets. And... Um, yeah, you can get tickets at uh, the sound228.com, so come check that out. And I think that's about it. You, I'm I'm ready to call it a show. I believe so. Awesome. Let me uh, play our music here if I can find it. Uh, oh, come on. Music. There you are. If you would like to email us, you can email us at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro. And individually at jfantastic and Der at Derek underscore diamond. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. Become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash nerdcaveretro. Get us up to that $50 level so we'll do the extra episodes for you every month. If you can't do that, you can't throw us a buck a month, go leave us a review wherever fine podcasts are sold so Derek please tell them what it's all about hasta la vista baby